0: Welcome, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. My name is Chris Warden, and this is AJW, the incomparable Andy Jones-Wilkins. Thank
1: you, Chris. Great to be here.
0: Yeah, and uh, we're going to take some time today to uh, preview the uh, big Halloween party in the desert, the Havlina 100. Uh, We've got three events coming up this weekend, the 100 Mile, the 100K, and the Jackass Night Run 31K as well. Uh, I assume that most of our conversation is probably going to focus on the 100 Mile, simply because it's a golden ticket race, but we might have some time to talk about some of the other developments. Obviously, with the 100K, we can get into that a little mm-hmm. bit later. Yeah. But um, I guess uh, I wanted to start, uh, AJW, to by talking to you. You've been a part of a 100 a lot longer than I have. My first exposure to the race was as a pacer in 2014. I ran the 100K in 2015, and I ran the 100 mile in 2016, but unfortunately didn't finish. Since then, I've worked as a volunteer, uh, part of the live stream, and also dancing out in the middle of the course just simply to direct traffic. I love being a part of this race, and it is now something I look forward to every year. Uh, what is your experience with Half Lane 100?
1: Well, I ran it once, uh, and it was in 2007. Mm-hmm. It was six and a half loops of the Pemberton Trail. The start-finish, the headquarters at the time, was, was right there uh, at the Pemberton Trailhead. The aid station was under the Ramada, uh, and it was actually the year before uh, Jamil took the race over. Uh, Jimmy and Roger Rublick were the race directors then. Have They took it over a couple of years after uh, Jerry uh, and Linda, Jerry Kilgarriff and Linda Van Tilborg gave it up. And um, so it was in the early years, but I've been coming back from time to time over the years. And I would say, of all the Ultras that I've been to over a 15 year period, Javelina has grown and changed and evolved the most. It's not Wasatch, let's put it that way. (laughs)
0: Yeah, for sure. And and for some other races which have always been, you know, obviously you're associated with Western states very prominently, and, you know, your history there is well-documented— but Western states has always been a big deal, whereas Havelina kind of worked its way up into being a big deal, as uh, as you noted.
1: It's kind of cool actually, because what's what started as a low key bunch of relatively locals in the desert then became sort of ultra running's Burning Man, and now is ultra running's Burning Man combined with a highly competitive race. I uh, argue, I think it's going to be the largest field for a 100 miler in the United States. Uh, And um, and in my opinion, and I always have those, the second most competitive 100 miler in the country this year, and probably the second most competitive ultra in the country this year, but that could be debatable.
0: Yeah, it's going to be an insane field. For those of you who aren't familiar with it, uh, we're going to go over some of the prominent names and some of our feelings about the field. Uh, I mean, I've got my picks, uh, for those of you familiar with run free trail, they give you the opportunity to do some fantasy booking, uh, which is a lot of fun and, uh, it creates some discussion. But the amazing thing about this year's field, talking about the hundred mile in specific, I believe is the fact that when you look at this field, you know, trying to pick at, you know, as far as a fantasy handicapping goes, I picked five men and five women the same way everybody else does. And I looked at my sheet afterwards and I was like, wow, I left this person, I left this person, mm-hmm. I left these people off the list.
1: And it's simply because the field is just so deep. It's so stacked. It's incredibly stacked, but it's also a tricky time of year to handicap a race. You know, all I've got a list of 12 on each side and you don't really know. It's late October. Some of these people might be running on fumes. Some of these folks are primed for this race. Some of these folks have plenty of experience in the hot and the dry. Others are coming from where maybe they've just gotten their first snowfall. So I think there's a dynamic in a late October, a big late October race that um, that's different than, say, a June or July race. And in many ways, for those of you who've been around the sport long enough, I think Havelina is at the point right now where it's occupying the late season the late-season, big-time ultra in the United States that used to be occupied by the North Face 50 in San Francisco. And I think as that continues to evolve, I think we're going to see this field continue to strengthen. But this year is going to be a lot of fun. There's no doubt about it.
0: That makes sense because, of course, one of the uh, key tenets of Heavily in 100 is that it's a Western States qualifier. Mm -hmm. Obviously, it's a golden ticket race, and we'll talk about our picks for that coming up. However, the fact that it's a Western States qualifier – can cause runners, and it's at the end of the the season, uh, obviously with another week or two left in the season, there aren't many more options. If runners like rank and file, middle of the pack runners want to jump in uh, into a Western States qualifier to get into that lottery the first weekend of December, this is the last chance for a lot of them
1: yeah yeah they've got they basically got this race and then Rio Del Lago in Northern California next weekend and that's it yeah so really, if they've waited this long or they maybe had tried earlier at Black Canyon or canyons and and fell short, this is it. yeah now you know if they play their cards right, Take if we're talking about midpackers and and take the and and take advantage of the cool night temperatures and just take it easy for those first twelve hours. You know, it's probably in the bag. Although you want to make sure you don't uh, you leave something in the tank, so you're not out there until it starts getting hot again yes. on Sunday morning. That the Sunday morning heat, it could be the same exact temperature, but the Sunday morning heat just feels way worse. It hits different, <laughs> and that Arizona sun does hit differently yeah. for those that have not
0: run out in it. Um, and uh, to that end, before we get into the field, uh, I guess I wanted to discuss with you, I checked the most recent temperatures that I saw, the most recent forecasts, but a high of 81 and a low in the upper 50s. That's actually relatively cool for this race as far as a high temperature. However, you know the desert sun hits differently. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know this from personal experience. I see, obviously, you just moved back to the valley after uh, uh, living in several other places. And, you know... Getting reaccustomed and reacquainted with that sun when it's, you know, 80, 90 degrees or higher is is a process. And that's one of the reasons why I think when we go over our picks, a lot of my picks are leaning towards people who I know have that desert experience. Mm-hmm. Can you expand upon that? Talking about your experience in in the desert and in high temps, obviously, whether it be here or at Western mm-hmm. states or at other temperature races
1: well i also think you know if you got let's say did you get your forecast temps from say fountain hills yes right so if you you know you could just go a few miles from fountain hills but now you're out in this wide open desert true where the 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 surface the ground is just baking All day. I mean, it may not be baking in 110 degrees like it is in July and August, but it's still baking. There's ambient temperature coming up from the ground. And likewise, as it cools down in the evening, it cools down much more precipitously. So it might be a delta of 85 to 55 in Fountain Hills. It might be 90, 92 to 48 in the desert. And, and the little microclimates going through the washes and things like that. You never know when a breeze is going to come up or there's no breeze. Not to mention the fact that the only place you're going to get shade is when you get to the aid stations, right. <laughs> you know, unless you crawl under uh, you know a tree somewhere. So, you know, in terms of my experience in the desert, I love running in the desert. You know, I've. I've been a heat a heat runner for a long time, Western States and other races. I think it takes it takes a certain amount of uh, patience to run in the desert. You need to pay attention to most of all your hydration. I mean, I've lived in humid places where you sweat like crazy. If you're coming from a humid place to here, you're going to be simply easily as hot and you're not necessarily going to know it. So I think you've got to you've got to really be aware of how your body's reacting to the desert heat.
0: Yeah, I think that that's important, and and the heat sneaks up on you, but the cool does as well. Oh yeah, Havoline uh, 100. When you look at the course profile, is not what we would call a quote difficult race in terms of you know tens of thousands of feet of climb. You know, it's it's a pretty moderate hilly race, and there's a slight uphill towards Jackass Junction, the midway or the approximate midway point, and then it's a slight downhill coming back from Jackass Junction, but. The race has a notoriously low finish rate when you think of its technicality or its difficulty. And I think that a lot of that has to do with the weather. And while the heat is something that we talk about as well, one thing I've learned over the years speaking with runners that come here to visit is that the cool hits differently, too, because it's so dry. Mm -hmm. Uh, I remember a conversation with a runner late last year at an event. I can't remember which one, but they had come here. I believe it was across the years. Had come here from another place. And they were complaining about how cold it was. They couldn't believe how cold it got here. And and I mentioned to them, it's 46 degrees. <laughs> like, it, they were thinking that it was like 25 or 30 degrees. But, you know, when you've got that cold, dry air hitting you, it does hit differently. So w- 55 can cause some of these runners to potentially... You know, shut down physically and start shivering uncontrollably, and
1: it drops quickly. Yes, the temper. You know, so a a unique challenge of a of a late October race is a long night, twelve plus hours of dark, right? And the and they could be going twelve hours in the nice warm sun. It could be as still as warm as seventy at five p.m. And it might be in the 50s by 7 p.m. And you might and you might leave headquarters feeling pretty good with just a tank top, and you could be getting out to Jackass Junction and start to be shivering. So you, runners need to think, especially when they're leaving for whatever ends up being their first night loop. Yes. You know, for some people, for the really fast folks, it might be their fifth loop is their first night loop. But for most people, their first night loop will be their third or their fourth. And some might even want some night gear when they leave for their second, just in case it gets dark around the backside so I think that you want to be prepared for that you also need to be prepared if you haven't run the race before for the mental challenge of looping yes. you know <laughs> you know let's not forget that you're coming by your car and your crew every 20 or so miles and oh, it yeah. can be tempting to just be like hey, i'll call it a day at 100k there's some <laughs>
0: definitely unique uh challenges and conditions in this race you know uh, the last time I attempted to run it Throwing on a headlamp at 2 in the afternoon seemed a little bit excessive, but (laughs) I knew that by the time I came back around, it was Mm going to be dark. Yeah. So that's the way it goes here. Uh, Do you want to just jump into uh, prognosticating perhaps the women's 100-mile field? Yeah, let's do it. All right, uh, folks. The 100-mile field for having 100 this year is absolutely stacked. One of the beautiful things about this race roster, as I was going through it myself, was the notion that There are seven or eight or even more runners that would not surprise me if they walked away with a golden ticket. Um, And to my knowledge, I don't believe anybody in the race is actually qualified for Western States as of yet. I was going through, and I didn't think that there was any top ten finishers. On the women's
1: side? Yeah. That's correct.
0: That's pretty amazing to have this high caliber of a field with nobody qualified for Western States, which means in all likelihood, unless certain people have their their plans otherwise – those tickets aren't going to pass down Mm -hmm. you know we'll talk about what's going to happen on the men's side where there is some potential for that but on the women's side i think that you might be forced to finish top two in order to have Mm -hmm. you know an entry to western which means there are going to be
1: some extremely fast extremely talented athletes on the outside looking in Mm -hmm. and from a strategic standpoint you might i think you could almost count on seeing some risks you know, you don't often think of a of a race with uh, with you know a relatively mellow uh, elevation profile out in the desert that has a real party atmosphere of people just throwing it out there and taking some risks. But I think they're going to have to, in much the same way, athletes actually at Western States need to take risks to to try and win uh, or get a top ten and be invited back next year. So mm-hmm. I think we're going to see some fast times we're probably going to see some pretty big blow-ups, which make you – know, we're not here to predict blow-ups. True. But, I mean, when you do look at the list on both the men's and women's side, you have experienced Javelina runners, then you have non havelina but experienced 100-mile runners, and then you have not done either yes. but have done some really fast, impressive stuff. So if you take those three buckets on both the men's and women's side – you know, we don't know where where that's going to necessarily go. But you could also be that person who keeps your cards close to the vest, sticks to the back, waits till maybe loop four to make a move, and could reel in some of that early uh, anxiety and angst around trying to get that ticket.
0: For sure. Uh, I guess the, the first place we should start just to simplify things because we've got plenty of people to talk about would be to talk about the former champions that are currently in the field. And there are three of them. Rep- sending four victories over the course of the Havillain 100 history. We have uh, the most recent uh, champion was Nicole Bitter in 2020. Uh, we have uh, Casey Lichtig, who won in both 2019 and in 2014, and former course record holder Devin Yanko, who won in 2015. So we've got some extremely talented runners at the very top of the women's field. Uh, we've got three former champions, but we've also got other women who are You know, high caliber have finished in the top three here, also have some ridiculously fast 100-mile times. We've got Stephanie Flippin, who has broken 15 hours Mm -hmm. in the 100-mile twice Mm -hmm. in the last two years. We've got Brittany Peterson, who finished second here last year, but her golden ticket deferred down to Tessa Chesser. And, of course, Brittany has had extreme success at Western States. Mm -hmm. We've got um, Annie Hughes, who I believe is, you know, somewhat an unknown, you know, as far as... Can, what can she do on a flat fast hundred? Because what she's done to this point is basically throw down on some rugged, you know, harder courses. So I guess. Yeah, that, I mean, what's she
1: gonna do after her 15-hour warm-up? Right, you know, she'll be done. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess. Uh, well, you know, I mean, I think that that list right there. Uh huh. Right, that list right there. Any of those. Women could win the race. Agreed. Could win the race, and we still have some other names on here. So going backwards, I'm really cl- curious about Stephanie Flippin. Yes, um, with this, this, these fast, flat, almost. She's almost coming here in the context that Arlen Glick came on the men's side last year, Mm -hmm. had these super fast, you know, not so competitive hundreds in the Midwest and other places. She's sort of this year's Arlen Glick on the, on the female side, although she has been out in the West, right? Having one run jackpot before uh, maybe twice. twice. Yeah. Yeah, So she's not completely unfamiliar with this environment like, like Arlen was last year. But if you take the three past champions plus Brittany with a with a second place and uh, and second and fourth at Western States that's like your experienced group yes. right and if i'm one of these you know pushing the pace gals let's say manuel Sokol, we haven't talked Manuela yeah. sacall who's it was an olympic marathoner mm-hmm. um and i think had an extremely good performance at Tarawera, if i'm not mistaken was yeah. that yeah where you know she she could Start off the front. And I don't know if I had, if I had the likes of Casey and Brittany and Devin, you know, following on my heels, I'd be running scared, you know? So I think it's going to be an interesting dynamic between the the experienced and the newcomers. Absolutely. And uh, to just pile onto the list,
0: there are several other names that when you look at this race roster, it's just it's absolutely unbelievable. As we talked about, you mentioned Manuela Sokol. Talking about another unknown, and I want to kind of pause and give you a chance to explain this because I saw you mentioning on Twitter her name and pointing
1: it out, Heather Jackson. Heather Jackson is a fascinating story. I just learned about her on Twitter about a week and a half ago. She has not run an ultra. <laughs> but she has not run an ultra, but she's a multi-time Ironman Full distance Ironman champion. Yes, and is from Bend, Oregon. Uh, Knows deserts. Knows heat. Uh, And her name popped up on the entry list. And you know, in Ultra Sign Up, when you have no results, you're all the way down at the bottom. I mean, she's all the way down at the bottom. I'll be fascinated to see. I mean, I don't, I assume in triathlon, I mean, she's obviously run long distances in training and at least marathon distance and probably longer. But that's, that will be so, though, an Olympic marathoner and a world class, um, uh, you know, triathlete. And not to mention some other former Golden Ticket winners, M- Michelle Megagna, I hope yes. I'm pronouncing that right, Anne-Marie Mar- Anne Madden, um, Arden Young, uh, Riley Brady, uh, Vermont 100K finisher, a beast coaster. <laughs> I mean, I think, I think those four, for example, will be happy to lay in wait and see if there's any carnage and see if those last two loops yield any, any women coming back to the field. So when have we last had, you know, there's 12 we've just kind of gone <laughs> through that that are kind of in the mix. You're gonna earn your golden ticket. And, I, and and I say that in all sincerity. I mean, I like to track how the golden ticket winners ultimately do at western states. You know, t- Not surprisingly, typically golden ticket folks from canyons do better than Bandera. And typically golden ticket folks from both the desert races, Black Canyon and Havelina do about the same. I'm guessing this year, and I, we don't know the full depth of the Black Canyon field right now, but I'm guessing with the exception of you, the people who qualify at UTMB, the people who qualify with these golden tickets at Javelina will have earned it. And we can expect to see them near the front at Western States. I, I think you're absolutely right. And, you know, we've we've named off, you know,
0: several names as, as you did. And there are... The fascinating thing about this field is that there are other, like, runners who in a normal other year, we would be putting them right at the top of the field. Mm-hmm. One name that we didn't even mention is a local runner on the Air Viper racing named Brianna Gregsby. Yeah. Brianna's mm-hmm. finished top five at this race before. Recently, I want to say it was 2021 uh, or even 2020, but um, it was 2019 she finished eighth. And uh, in the 100K last year, she finished second. So, I mean, she's battle-tested out here in the desert, you mm-hmm. know, and she's run against, mm-hmm. you know, the best and nobody's talking about her necessarily as a, a front runner. I mean, is she a contender? Yeah, I think to a, in a in a way because mm-hmm. you know, nothing nobody knows what's going to happen out there. Strange things can happen at 100 miles. It's like Jenga. Like when you're the higher you build that tower, the longer you make that race, the more things can go wrong. Like it's yeah. I think it's far more easy to assume that the best is going to, you know, Come forth in a shorter race at 100 miles, and I and
1: I think in ter- in contrast to past Havelinas where by 100K you pretty much know there's sort of five people vying for the win. I think there's going to be deeper than that. I think you're going to need to look 10, 11, 12 deep who knows? It can even come down to a last loop showdown, you That's know, no where way. someone gets reeled in or someone makes weights and makes a move in the last loop. I think the tactics in this year's race will be different than we've seen in the past. And um, and it'll be fun to watch for the sure. Thing. And And this women's field, it's it's um, it's diverse, right? Fast road runners. We talked about a triathlete. We talked about sort of technical, you know, Brittany Peterson would be the first to say she much prefers the technical stuff, but she can transition to the smooth, flat stuff. Casey has a diesel engine, right? If someone's gonna run, if Flippin's gonna run a low 14, Casey's probably not going to win. Yep. But if, if it's going to be 15, 1505, Casey's going to be right there. Right. So I think you've got, you've got runners that are going to know their limits, run within their expectations, take advantage of their strengths. Just the course, right, with the gradual – we haven't talked – the gradual uphill, the rollers in the middle, Mm -hmm. the sweet downhill. Don't forget the first loop that includes Escondido is the one sort of techie, annoying part of the whole day, you know, that that little extra loop. Fortunately, you only have to do that once. But, you know, if if runners get in a rhythm where they've got the downhill legs from jackass back to the road crossing – um, they can they can really save energy on some of the ups and really make time. And someone like Devin, I remember she ended up dropping out last year, but you know, she's six feet tall. Yeah. She makes a move on those downhills. You know? Yeah, so, she moves really well. She on really the does. Yeah. And that downhill, as you
0: mentioned, from basically shortly after leaving Jackass Junction down to the road crossing at Rattlesnake Branch is the fastest part of the course. Oh, yeah. It's for those who have not seen it before, it's I mean, it's very non-technical. It's almost like what we would call canal running here Mm -hmm. and slightly downhill the entire way. It's a lot of fun. Uh, and you move really quickly as you're heading, and down it's there.
1: a and it's a nice enough downhill grade that you know gravity's taking you, but it's not steep where you have to put the brakes on or worry about your quads or anything like that. It's it's a sweet section of trail. Absolutely, um, a couple of the names that we talked about,
0: um, one that you have spoken to very recently, and one that I've spoken to very recently. I want to kind of, and they're both contenders. Um, they're both coming off of or dealing with certain. Uh, ailments or, or physical injuries or recovery from. That would be Devin Yanko, who I saw at Hennepin 100, and Casey Lichtig, who you just recently interviewed mm-hmm. uh, on the Coop podcast. Um, I guess uh, based on you know what you've talked to with Casey, I kind of look at her and Devin both, as, even though they're fully talented, fully experienced, as a little bit of a wild card in their own way simply because we don't know where they're at and where they stand in terms of their recovery and coming back you know, in full to, you know, what we know they can accomplish. Can you speak
1: to yeah. what you... I I, I I am very much, in, I'm, I'm glad to hear that you spoke to Devin. I've known Devin for, gosh, almost 20 years, and I know she's got some health issues, yes. and, and I know that you, you have, uh, you will have an opportunity to speak to those, because I love Devin, and she's been around a long time. With respect to Casey, Casey's, when it comes to Western states, Casey's like the kind of person that you know how if a car falls on someone and you have superhuman strength and the person could lift up the car. Casey is like that for Western States. Like something happens to her when you just mention that race when you and, and 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 frankly, she fully intends if she doesn't get the golden ticket at Avelina to sign up for Bandera and then to sign up for Black Canyon. And then to, but she wants it here and it's a 100 miler. It's probably her best chance in terms of her health she'd be the first to admit she's her own worst enemy. You know, she had a serious hamstring injury that she ran, ran through, ran through, ran through until she could no longer run through it. It was practically severed uh, when she did a high high mountain race in Colorado. Had to get surgery, major surgery, no weight-bearing for 12 weeks. I mean, serious recovery. She was able to start, you know, start slow walking, You know, in in March, barely made it to the Western State starting line, did it sub-24 hours, but obviously wasn't fast enough to get the ticket. Since then, she's feeling great. And she's had a couple of times where she's overdone it, where she's just pushed a little. The most recently that she mentioned on a podcast, because Casey, as anybody who knows Casey, is one of the nicest people in ultra running. She was scheduled to pace a friend at a a road marathon. Mm -hmm. And the friend had a certain pace goal in mind. I forget what it was, but pretty fast, like 310 or something. And so she ran with him. And it was a little too fast for her hamstring in that moment. And it got a little angry with her for a couple of weeks. She'll be ready. Um, she'll be ready to race. And, uh, and you know, if she's in the hunt, if she's within an hour at 100K, I'd be worried about her. That yeah. makes sense.
0: Yeah. Well, and, and you know, to speak to, as I mentioned, I ran into Devon at Hennepin 100 earlier this month, and she was my pick to win that race, uh, potentially outright. I mean, obviously mm-hmm. at her best, she ran Umstead in, you know, under 1430 earlier this year. So any questions about whether or not she's still got the speed you know from when she set the Havelina course record back in 2015 she still got it
1: yeah you know even oh, though no not, doubt. she's
0: now a master's class runner um which course, by the way
1: her longevity is some of the most impressive in the sport i absolutely. mean you know she's she's gone through three incarnations of anton krupichka and she's still <laughs> doing it so
0: <laughs> all right uh, for those of you that had the uh <laughs> reference uh, you know you can check that one off the bingo card um uh but with, with Devin, um, you know, I, I think I don't think it's really, I don't think it's breaking any news. She on her social media has talked about how she has had some health issues uh, of late uh, with lupus and how she's learning how to adjust and and to deal with that. The amazing thing is is that even with that, she still when she had to withdraw from hennepin she had still run like sub-630 for the first 50 miles. Really? That's amazing. Yeah. And so I feel like Devin is as much a favorite as anybody, assuming her health holds up through this race. I don't know where she's at. I haven't talked to her. I emailed her there back and forth a little bit, trying to get her to come to some of our <laughs> local events. We'll talk about those. Um, but uh, but I, I think that, you know, all things being equal, everybody in the field being where it seems like they are, you know, health-wise, I think that she's actually a, you know, a genuine threat for the yeah. top, too.
1: and she's got will. I mean, she's yes, she's had some DNFs, but she's also had some will. If you if you recall that, the Western States that was featured in the Billy Yang movie Life in a Day, I mean, yeah. she was ready to drop out at last chance, mile 43. She sat there for half an hour with ice over her head, I mean, in tears, and she bounced back and got third place. Yeah. So she is a bounce-backer. Uh, she's willing to suffer. And she's got Will, and I I suspect she's going to confront this disease as she's confronted everything in her ultra career, which is like stare it right in the eye and stare it down. So yeah. I'm looking forward just to seeing her and catching up with her, and it's just great that she's coming back. For sure.
0: Um, Nicole Bitter, uh, 2020 winner. It almost feels like she's kind of like, you know, not not in the, the background, but not being talked about as much as a contender simply because of other names that are, you know,
1: seemingly more dynamic in this moment, and I'm not sure she's raced that much this year. Mm-hmm. Which related to what I was saying, a late season race. She could be just primed for this, and, yes. and she knows the desert. She knows yeah. the dry. She she knows what she's in for. Yeah. So I wouldn't be surprised to see Nicole in a, You know, in the mix after 100K. Also, absolutely great yeah. results
0: at Western States and having 100 in the past. Mm-hmm. So it wouldn't shock me at all, like you were saying. Um, and and circling back around to one of our other. Um, big-time
1: contenders, Annie Hughes. What is she doing a course like this? You know, I've... First of all, it's incredible that she runs... She runs like a wise mid-40-year-old, and I think she's 24. Yeah. Right? So she... I mean, aside from the fact that she races a lot, which is like a 24-year-old, she... Ra- the, her style of racing is of a mature runner who's maybe been smacked around, but she's never been smacked around. No. Right? So... I I don't know, uh, you know, knowing, you know, her success at these big, long things like Cocodona, big high mountain races, uh, just recently at Run Rabbit Run, she seems to recover like that. Um, I don't know. I, I would call her, I would call her a wild card because of that. Not because I don't think her her, she has the talent, but, you know, I think she, I think frankly... A good, and this isn't the scope of this conversation, but a good result for Annie puts her in the mix for Ultra Runner of the Year. Uh, women's Ultra, I mean, we know Courtney just won a big race over in Europe, so yeah. but but Annie busts one out and she got second last year. Annie busts one out here, I think she could have a legitimate argument for it, and it shows. What I love to see in ultra runners, like when, when Tim Tollefson came here, is I love to see their versatility. Yes. I love to see a mountain goat come and do something on a flat and fast desert course like this. And Annie has a chance to prove that
0: for sure. And that's what Courtney did, you know herself. I mean, whether it be winning Hard Rock UTMB or Desert Solstice, I mean, right. she's done absolutely. It all. She's and done that. And that's and what we're Annie trying to has find a out. chance
1: of being in that same conversation.
0: Absolutely, yeah. that's what we're going to find out this weekend as to whether Annie Hughes can adapt to those. Uh, you know, more rolling, faster courses because, I mean, she has taken and butchered some course records. She butchered the course record at uh, Coldwater Rumble. She Mm -hmm. butchered the course record at Cocodona, albeit under different circumstances, but she also still won that race by several hours. And she also butchered the course record at Run Rabbit Run, too. So at least as far as the hairs go. Yeah, But I mean, you know, so like there's, you know, kind of a, a question as to what she can do. And, you know, speaking of another runner who is moving into something new, I think we would be remiss if we would, we didn't spend some time talking about Manuela Sacole. And I'll be honest, I know next to nothing about her other than what I could find on Wikipedia and on, you know, uh, various uh, international running websites. I know that she is a Belgian Olympian in the marathon from 2016, ran like a 237, which puts her in like Camille range in terms of her marathon. Mm-hmm. But... I don't, and I know that she had an excellent um, result at Tarawera uh, back in what was it 2019? Yeah, that's my notes. Say, was it in 2020? Was it in the hundred
1: k? It was in the hundred k. She okay. ran nine thirty nine forty nine. I mean, yeah. So huge wild card, and we know that the world of ultras is littered with fast marathoners yes. off on the side of the trail, <laughs> never even able to finish a hundred. But we also know. That in the case of fast road marathoners, the 230 to 235 to 240 is kind of a sweet spot where they know how to pace. They know how to run really fast, but they also can pull back. What I wonder about, because even that Tara Wera time is fast, can she keep the reins in for the first 100K? Especially if some of these folks take risks like we're thinking they might. Take uh, Heather Jackson, perhaps. Yes. And if that happens and I get sucked into that, I'm liking the chances of the Casey's and the Brittany's and the Nichols and the Exper- the other former winner, uh, the Devons. Yeah. I'm liking their chances more if that happens.
0: Yeah, I, I, I mean, I guess, you know, when it came to my picks, uh, it, it was more of an issue of those who have experience in this race and in the, these conditions, and that's what drove a lot of what I was thinking. Um, I did have a little bit of a an adventure as you know a couple of my picks but um other than than the runners that we've talked about specifically is there anybody that we maybe haven't touched upon in the women's field that deserves a a mention as somebody who could sneak up i mean i've got a list of 20 deep but a lot of that is based on you know ultra sign up and i don't have a lot of familiarity with people beyond who we've right i don't
1: i'm not sure i could come up with anybody either although I I want to circle one more time back to Stephanie flippin yes um in along the same lines as Manuela I mean Stephanie has a hundred mile experience mm-hmm. but you know low 14s right low 14s at I think at Jackpot and, and, and at Tunnel Hill this is a little bit more hilly than that but that translates to 1430. I mean it's not far from Camille's time last year yeah and and I mean and if she comes out here and busts out a 1430. I don't know who's going to catch her. Yeah. The question is, will she come out here and bust out of 1430? So like in terms of straight up hundred mile foot speed, Mm -hmm. you would, you would think we've got to look at her, but there's so many variables other than hundred mile foot speed, especially, I mean, a lot of the races that she's had these incredible times haven't been all that competitive, right? She's been competing with the men. Uh, So I'm, I'm intrigued by her as well as the rest of this field to see where it's going to go. So, so let's go with our picks. Who do you have for your – go five up to one, and then I'll give you mine.
0: My five <laughs> up to one here, I've actually got them in front of me. At number five, I've got Casey. Okay. Uh, number four, Brittany Peterson. Uh, number three, Annie Hughes. And my top two, uh, getting the golden ticket in second place, Stephanie Flippin, And number one – Devin Yanko, have I have Devin I, won, I just, winning. I yeah. saw her, and you know, despite the fact that she had some issues at Hennepin, she just seemed like she was in such good spirits, and I think that bodes well for her. She seems to be in the right mindset with what she's dealing with, and as long as her body is able to, uh, you know, hold together, I think that we could see her, uh, you know, run that sub fourteen thirty.
1: All right, mine's a little. I, I put Nicole fifth. Mm-hmm. I I'm I'm I think the desert. I think the experience. I have Casey fourth. I have Annie third. I have Brittany coming in second again. And mm-hmm. I have Flippin going off the front and staying off the that front. That makes sense. I mean, you know. So, I mean, I don't want to put pressure on her, but I think if she can run f- under 1430, she's got it. So, we each left off a former champion.
0: Doesn't that tell you yes. how amazing <laughs> that field is? And that's not like something you apologize or like I feel apologetic about because, you know, it's not an indictment of you know in your case Devin, in my case Nicole that we don't think that they're amazing. They're amazing. Yeah, like right. It's just that this race is so hard to handicap, and it's really just honestly, it's rolling a die to see who has. The best day versus who might have something go
1: sideways. For right. Them. Exactly. So. Exactly. So that's interesting. We had a couple crossovers and yeah. we each left out a f- past champion. Yeah. And that's probably the uh, I hope, come I, back to I, fight hope fight I don't see them at the happy hour. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just said how much I love Devin. Yeah. No, no, no. I mean, and, and they're all great people. Yeah, I, yeah, all yeah. of my experiences with
0: everybody that we've talked about has been fantastic. Yes. So, yes.
1: Um,
0: do you think that, you know, we're going to pivot to the men in a second? Do you think that the course record's in danger? 1403? Y- yes.
1: You do? Wait, 1303. For the for the oh for the for women. women yeah no, 14.03. no I don't think so either no. I'm again, sorry I thought we were jumping okay I think I think winning I think it could be under 14.30, but sure. I'm I i do not think 1403 yeah I mean I was out there last year in you know seeing Camille in person oh my goodness yeah. she just she was on another level last I, year someone especially flipping flipping could be close sure but I'm not I don't think 1403 yeah I mean 1403 I think is the course just, record safe yeah. So we'll pivot to the men here.
0: And, of course, uh, I guess the first place we should start is, again, with the former champions. And we've got four, you know, titles accounted for over the course of two men. Uh, Obviously, uh, Pat Regan won in 2017, 18, and 19. And Arlen Glick won last year. Uh, Pat Regan has the course record at 13:01:14, which he ran in 2017. And his times since then haven't been a slouch either, you know, 1311, 1342, I mean, you know, leading off with those two, you know, is is, you know, pretty amazing anyways, but as it, as it's been documented, a couple things about those two. Number one, Pat Regan has made it abundantly clear he doesn't really have any interest in the golden ticket. Now, it's still only Wednesday, and, you know, who knows? but Sandbagger. But you never Sandbagger. know. You never
1: know. Like, I can't wait to see Pat tonight and yeah, get and, him in the corner. And we'll be seeing Pat at
0: our group run, yeah. so we're excited about that. But um, And Arlen is already qualified. So, you know, like those two, we'll, we'll circle around to them when we're talking about our picks in general, but obviously we're going to talk about the golden ticket, so I think that our discussion probably needs to start at the next set of contenders. And there are some fantastic runners in this field. Nick Curry. Obviously, uh, local, um, you know, part of the, you know, history of Air Viper running um, and has been on a tear for the last 18 months, you know, setting the U.S. record for most miles in 24 hours with a staggering 173 miles. Um, mm-hmm. Then Mark Hammond. Mark Hammond is in this field, and Mark Hammond is kind of being overlooked by a lot of people despite having a 1,200, thir- 3,500 mile mm-hmm. in the last two years. I mean – you know, those two, you've got Matt Daniels, who is, you know, you know, had a, an amazing Western States performance. What was that 2019? 2019. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, you've got uh, Dakota Jones, who is, I guess, the male equivalent of what Annie Hughes is doing, in my opinion, where she where Dakota is stepping onto a flatter, faster course, because we're used to seeing Dakota, you know, mixing it up at Hard Rock and, you know, in Idaho and in races like those. Whereas like this is not that. And you know, who's to say he can't come out here and, and throw down? Um, you know, but like, you know, Hammond, Curry, Matt Daniels, um, you know, uh, Jacob Puzzi last year, you know, finished sixth with a fifteen thirty-five. We've got, you know, a list of of guys on the men's side and, and almost the male equivalent of Manuela Sicole
1: in Patrick Gomez, mm-hmm. you know, who is a fast marathoner, and then you've got a, a former Golden Ticket uh, guy in Jonathan Ray, yeah, right, uh, and knows the desert, and then a local guy that um, Sarah highlighted for us, uh, Graham Shalvoy. Shul- Shalvoy. Shalvoy. Yeah, on the. Air I mean, team. maybe not in for the win, but certainly could be a. a, a a force in yeah. the in the dynamic of the race.
0: Yeah, Graham. I, I don't believe I believe that this is his first hundred mile attempt. Nice. So it'll be nice. kind of curious again to see how he does. But Graham has experience, you know, in these hills. Like yeah. he has run, you know, plenty of times in the desert as a member of the Air
1: Viper Racing team. Right. So, so uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in if you don't mind. Yeah. And, and I'm gonna Hammond. To me, is this is is the male Casey? He's got he knows the Western States magic. I think he wants to be back. I think he's ready to bust one out. And he knows his best chance of a golden ticket is in a 100-miler, not in a 100-k. Absolutely. Right? And so he is a disciplined runner. He's a smart runner. He's going to stay on top of his nutrition. He's going to do everything right. Someone's going to have to beat him versus him beating himself. Dakota. Has, you know, he's barely 30 years old. He's been in the sport like 13 years, which is incredible. Yes. um Has never run Western states, but in Con, we, we do think of him a lot at Hard Rock, but he had two really fast Lake Sonomas back in the Lake Sonoma days, which is Lake Sonoma's more rolling than, than Havelina, but it's a lot of smooth, buttery single track. And, and Dakota can throw down at a fast 50. Uh, this is a fast hundred. What I'm worried about with Dakota is he'll just kind of get sick of running because (laughs) there's just so much running. Uh, But I could see, I could see both Hammond and Dakota as like these, these not so old, but kind of grizzled vets kind of being in the mix. And then Daniels um, and uh, there was another Daniels and Nick. Okay. Well, let's take those separate Daniels. I know has battled a, uh, almost a year and a half worth of up and down injury, uh, life circumstances, job changes, and so forth. And is he's one of the guys I think benefits from the late October time frame that other people might be coming in a little bit on fumes. He's coming in fresh. Yeah. And I'd be worried about a fresh Matt Daniels right? Um, and and I think, I, I know I talked about Devin and being tall. Matt's a big tall boy, and he can hammer that downhill section. I wouldn't be surprised if we see some splits from Jackass Junction to the road crossing that are insanely fast from him. And Nick, what can you say Metronome Nick, yes. right? I mean, he he I think he will go under 14 this year. I mean, will he go in the low 13s? I don't know, but he had an incredible 75k yeah. metronomic in that uh, that training race that was 549 in, 549, 549 for 75k yeah. and negative split it. He's made made that into an art form. He's as when you're in the room with Nick Curry, Pardon his uh, apologies to his brother, Jamil. You're the second smartest person in the room. I mean, he's a smart guy when it comes to life. He's a smart guy when it comes to running. And the engineer's mind is at work. So uh, that's a a dynamic group of six right there. And then whatever happens with Reagan and Glick, they're going to be pushing it. Yeah. And whether they care, I mean, Glick doesn't need a golden ticket. And Patrick is quote unquote claiming he doesn't want one, but they wouldn't mind seeing a twelve on that clock when oh, yeah. they get when they get to the finish line, especially if it if the temperatures hold and it's not it doesn't get up into the nineties. I also think similar to the way I was talking about Annie for Ultra Runner of the Year, runners these days pay attention to that. Runners pay attention to an Ultra Runner of the Year votes help with sponsorship. They help with future opportunities. And I think Arlen is probably wants one more notch in that belt uh, for ultra-runner of the year consideration. I haven't talked to him about it, but I'd mm-hmm. be interested. And and this is a race you can definitely do that at. So I, it's going to be fun, and it's going to be dynamic. And in this race, contrast to the women, I think the course record could go down. I, I, I agree with you there. I would
0: actually say it's even money for this course record to go down. But, you know, we've just scratched the surface in terms of the men's field. There are several other... Uh, you know, runners with respectable times, you know, we didn't really, you know, go too deeply into, you know, Jonathan Ray and uh, Patrick Gomez. One of the names that I had been kind of looking at outside of the box
1: was Cody Logan. Now, Mm -hmm. tell me about Cody. I know nothing about him. I
0: know very little about (laughs) Cody, but I'll (laughs) just sign up as your friend. (laughs) And what I saw with Cody is that he had, uh, he won the Coldwater Rumble last year with uh, one of the faster times in history. It was like 1738, and i think that's like the fourth or mm. fastest time in course history which is which is fairly impressive cold water is much less runnable than than havelina and it also mm. is you know gets you know as as cold as the desert gets out right. here um but what really kind of caught my eye was his performance at the 2021 ray miller mm. and he won that with the fourth fastest time in course history which puts him That's in. That's impressive
1: because there have been some studs run that race. Yeah.
0: yeah. And and my thought process behind putting him in my top five was the idea that if you're winning the Ray Miller, then you've got a heck of a career ahead of you or a heck of a stretch mm-hmm. ahead of you. I mean, Dylan Bowman is one of Al has won it. Hal Kerner's won it. I mean, you know, we've seen, you know, some really heavy hitters come into that race. Uh, Jorge Pacheco, you mm-hmm. know, uh, who. Old nemesis yes, of mine. Yes. Uh, yes. For those of you not familiar, Jorge uh, <laughs> took a. Uh, took a win at Havelina 100 uh, away from Andy back in 07. Um, yes,
1: I have the honor of having my name underneath Jorge in five different 100-mile results. Wow. Yes. <laughs> so he uh, he kind of... Second to Jorge five times, never beat him. That is that is wild. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, but those are the
0: kind of names that... That, that have done well at Ray Miller. At, at yeah. Ray Miller. So if, if you're winning in Malibu, you are likely... Um, And and Cody's only twenty eight. That's another Mm -hmm. thing. So like his career is potentially just beginning. You know, I mean, I believe that his his PR uh, for the hundred miler is, you know, uh, it's impressive by you know normal human standards. Seventeen thirty seven at Rio del Lago uh, back in twenty nineteen, but that was a couple years ago, and obviously he's made strides since then. Is
1: he an Arizona guy? No, he's a California California guy. guy. Okay, yeah. Well, the other thing about Ray Miller too is it while it does have some steep ups and downs as it's leaving the beach and coming back. It's a lot of rolling buttery stuff like we have here. So I think it plays well. Uh, a success at Ray Miller does play well here. So he's someone to watch. Yeah, and absolutely. Didn't, didn't make my list, I'm embarrassed to say. Well, that, that's,
0: <laughs> again, there's so many names that we can look at. I mean, we didn't even talk about some of the other names, like Jeremy Pope, you know, who mm-hmm. you know who ran a 14:27 at Canal Corridor last year. You know, Uh Bob Hearn, I know that Bob Hearn isn't seen as a contender in this kind of thing, but he ran sub-15 last mm-hmm. year. You know, Uh Jordan Camastro ran, you know, sub, you know, like ran a 15-15 at Jackpot uh, – two years ago. I mean, these are runners who are not getting any
1: love mm-hmm. for
0: the golden well, ticket conversation. Y- you
1: mentioned uh Jacob Puzzi also, who yeah. was in, I think sixth or fifth here sixth. last year and has really good foot speed, mm-hmm. you know, and I think has probably picked and chosen his races. You know, he's probably not on the, on the you know, front of everybody's mind very much, but you know, if you're, if you're under raced coming into this, you know, anything can happen. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, there, there's just such a
0: great field here. And, uh, I guess, in uh, you know, in the interest of uh, you know, I guess calling you know, putting it out there for ourselves,
1: what do you got in your top five? Give my top five. Okay, yeah. I'll go from five to one. Um, I uh, I'm I'm thinking that Matt Daniels, as much as I just you know extolled him, I think he's going to probably be fifth. I uh, I'm going to have Dakota fourth. Uh, And Nick, metronome Nick, is going to be third. And Arlen and the Georgia Peach are going to battle it out, and I think Reagan's going to win. So I got Reagan, Arlen, uh, what did I say? Reagan, Arlen, Nick, Dakota, Matt. Okay, so our
0: top three are... Almost the same. Number five, I'm calling my shot by saying Cody Logan. You are? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I put it, it's out there on social media. So it's got to be, you know, I, I can't delete it. Um, number four, I've got Mark Hammond. You know, mm-hmm. I saw him at Solstice when he ran that 1235, and it was just so impressive. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I mean, does that translate here? Maybe, but he's had Western States success. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. like, no I surface feel like, is going to
1: bug him. Yeah. 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 So
0: yeah. I, I think that that's a, you know, that's why I put him at fourth. Third, I've got Nick.
1: Now, so we both have well, Nick third. Let's be honest, missing the ticket by one spot. No. Oh, actually, getting the, getting the ticket. Yeah. So you have Arlen and 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 Georgia Pete. Yeah. So okay. So I've got so Pat, even even if Pat changes his mind, and takes a ticket. Yeah. Nick's going. Yeah.
0: So Pat, I've got it two and Arlen at one. But I'll be so honest, like, I would not be surprised. One two three three two one. You know, three any of one those two. Three. Any like. Interesting I think that
1: we have the same podium. I think that just a little flipping. That's
0: the one consistent thing I've seen about a lot of the people online in other preview shows, other posts, mm-hmm. is that I think that there's a consensus that there are three runners at the top, and there might be a the slightest of separation between them and the rest of the field. Yeah. And it's not because they don't think Dakota's not talented or Mark's not talented or you know Daniels. or Daniels yep. not talented. It's just that. Like it's just different with what yeah. we've seen from you know Pat here and what we've seen from Arlen and Nick over the last two years. Yeah, I mean yeah. Arlen and Nick have just been on another level. I mean you know, and
1: and in contrast to the women's side, we out of all those three, we haven't seen any blowups. Yeah. Right. I mean, so at least so far, I don't want to jinx it, yeah. but they seem to be somewhat bomb-proof for Bullock.
0: Well, and yeah, and, and that's the thing is that, you know, also that that top three is pretty well bomb-proof. Like, yeah. I mean, you know, I think it's pretty safe to assume that they know what they're doing out there. I mean, Nick has a second-place finish here from 2020, but he's also been running this course for his entire career. Yeah, You know, Pat's won it three times, so he obviously knows what's going on. And Arlen has shown that, you know, I mean, even at – at jackpot. I didn't know this. I actually it was funny because I pointed it out to somebody, but Arlen was running like kind of favoring one side, and it came out later. I mentioned I heard on a podcast that Arlen had mentioned that he was kind of working through uh, some discomfort at jackpot, and when I mentioned it to somebody, like no, he always runs like that. But no, <laughs> apparently, you know, he was he was struggling a little bit as he ran to a
1: uh, thirteen twenty seven. <laughs> mile, like you know. Those three are just on a different level. So let me offer up a side bet for you since we both have Nick third. What place will he be in at 100K? Oh, like <laughs> 10th or 11th. I, I, I bet he's not even in the top 10. Maybe 10. Yeah. But I, I bet you a lot of these guys are ahead of him after three loops. I guarantee it. Yep, I guarantee, guarantee it. I mean, you know, having seen
0: Pat's performances out, he's going to come out leading. Yeah. like, oh, and, yeah. and he's going to. Lead or stay. Arlen won't let him get, he'll keep him on a rubber band, I think. He won't let him get too far. Yeah. But Nick, I mean, Nick does what he wants to do. Oh, yeah. And that is run his race, and he's going to negative split it, and he's going to pass you. Like, you know, even though, (laughs) you know, he might have, you might have beaten him by an hour to the 100K mark, he is going to stay steady. Or actually, you know, get faster as the race goes right. on. Right. So is maybe, amazing.
1: so maybe if it's boring that we have the same top three. I think what we're seeing in positions four through probably eight is a lot of interesting stories. Absolutely, a lot of interesting stories with people coming back from time away, like Mark and Dakota or Matt Daniels after having a great Western States three years ago, wanting to go back. I mean, I think the stories that are going to come out of this year's Havoline are going to be great. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Um, Kind of stepping away from the elites, uh, there are a couple of interesting stories that I don't know if you're familiar with. But um, this being the 20th year of Havoline 100, uh, it's kind of looked at as a homecoming in some ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of our special guests out there is going to be Jerry Kay, you know, the the founder of Havoline 100, and uh, you know I think that it's really cool that she's going to be out there. And we've got several runners that are out there for their 10th, 11th, 12th, 15th buckle. Uh, Susan Donnelly, the all-time leader in Havoline 100 finishes, is going to be going for number 15, you know? And Susan doesn't DNF, like she just mm-hmm. doesn't. I mean, her her over 100, 100 milers, there are several people that fit that description. Like of the 22 people in history who have done 100, 100 milers, four or five mm-hmm. of them are in this field. Um, you know, it's pretty amazing that, you know, this race and its history, you know, talking about other people, Fred Roberts is going for his 12th buckle. Mm-hmm. Uh, Karen Bonet is going, I believe, for her 12th as well. Um, David Bliss and James E. Hans are each going for their 10th. That's know, awesome. Like, you know, I know that, uh, you know, you haven't been here in a little while, but what do you think brings people back every year?
1: Well, I want to, you mentioned Jerry Kay. Yeah. And I think uh, we probably have a lot of people tuning into this broadcast who don't know, like, the whole story of Jerry Kay. But mm-hmm. Jerry Kilgariff, uh, you know, long before Twitter and Facebook and TikTok and Instagram... For ultras, there was the Ultra List. It was a it's a list serve, and with the possible exception of Gary Cantrell, Laz, the most active participant on the Ultra List back in the late '90s and early '00s was Jerry Kilgarev, and she was not subtle. I mean, if she was posting the stuff that she posted on the Ultra List on Twitter, she'd probably get like you she'd know, get banned. She'd get banned, but she was awesome. And she decided to pull off this Haveline 100 race. She did it for a few years. She also did Zane Grey for a long number of years. She loved the sport because of the community for all the right reasons. And the fact that she's coming back for year number 20 is really, really awesome. It's and, special. Uh, and it is special. And I think it does. You know, some events try to be more than they are. I'm not going to name any names, but whether it's through sponsorship or, or uh, attracting elite fields or Havelina, even this year with this competitive field, has never tried to be more than it actually is. A late October Halloween party in the desert where people run for a long time yeah. and wear costumes. That started with Jerry. And then Roger and Jimmy took it over, and Jamil took the race over when he was 24 and pretty much didn't know what he was doing. But look what he's done, right? Yeah. But he's stayed true, and that's why they return. That's why you've got 10 and 15 year returners. Not just some would say, oh, well, it's because of the party. No, it's a homecoming. And, and let's face it, in this day and age of like races that are impossible to get into, you can still get in to have you got to sign up early, Yes. you know, <laughs> but there's also a wait list and there's seems to always be some movement on the wait yes. list because people's plans change and so forth. So I think they come back for those reasons. You can get in, you want to be there, you reconnect with people. The aid, st- you know, I know that there's been some change of, um, change of the leadership in some of the aid stations. But you know, those aid station volunteers are are the they're the best. Yes. You know, and the aid stations are the best. Yes. And the fact you the other reason to come back is you can come with your friends, you can set they can set up and crew you. They get a whole day and night hanging out in the desert and talking to people and getting caught up like it's homecoming in college.
0: It is a it is a communal feeling when you're out there. I mean, yeah. you know, the, the it's basically becomes a city. Into yeah. itself, I mean, and like all of the the tents, the crew tents lining the the entryway into the start finish line. It's really there's uh, it, I've never been to you know races in Europe or anything like that, but I mean it's probably the closest thing we have to something like that mm-hmm. here in the yeah. U.S. I mean, you know, I've been out to Hard Rock and seen how magical that is, despite the small field and how much people get into it. I think it's kind of the same way at Havelina, Like it's it's become this. And, and part of the, the magic of Javelina is that you can only access the runners at one point. You can't mm-hmm. go out to Jackass Junction. You can't go out to Rattlesnake Ranch. You know, you have to do it at headquarters. So you, everybody just gathers there, and it becomes such a commune. People were talking about needing to get a, you know, a crew set up tent space for their runner and stuff like that. And one of the things that I mentioned to people is you don't necessarily need a spot for yourself because there's only like 175 spots, but like 1,200 runners. Make friends. You can share mm-hmm. one of those tents four, five, six ways. I've done it, you know, and what you make new friends and you, you know, see people you haven't seen. I can't wait to go to the expo to see all of the people I have not seen in years. Yeah. So yeah. I'm really excited about that. Yeah. Um, I guess, uh, quickly dabbling into the 100K, have you taken a look at that field very
1: much? I've kind of peaked a little bit. I have not really, although I did see two big names pop up on the entry list recently. Yeah, Former 100-mile women's winner and course record holder Camille Heron on the women's side. And on the men's side? Uh, Scott Traer. Scott Traer. Yeah. Local
0: boy. Yeah. Scott Traer, who obviously- Top 10 at Western States. And won the golden ticket here- uh, for Black Canyon back in February. Now with Camille, we need to qualify this because uh, I spoke with, uh, well, texted with Connor this morning. Connor hold her husband and coach, and they're going to make a decision. You know, as the race approaches, they're not quite sure. You know how whether or not she's going to run, but I think that that speaks to how much fun it is out here because they're coming out to hang out with even yeah. if they don't run right you know yeah. they're gonna be out there cheering on runners and tailgating and I think for camille it'll be a cool experience like she she ran the race in 2020 and had to drop out at, at the 100k mark despite mm-hmm. being in the lead she just was not uh doing great but she still hung out mm-hmm. at ha- headquarters yeah. and was cheering on runners and having a beverage or two and and that's what this race is all about. So I'm yeah. really excited about that. So I guess we didn't, you know, I don't know too many. I mean, I you know that Lottie Brinks is running in the 100K. And before I found out the news this week, I would have made her the prohibitive favorite on the women's side. Uh, the men's side, I wasn't familiar with too many of the names. But, I mean, but, you know, frankly, if they're both racing, I think that Scott and... Uh, Camille would be the favorite odds mm. on favorites Simply, in terms
1: of ultra running personalities I think I saw Billy Yang's name on yes. the uh, 100k list Billy Yang yep. is in the 100k mm-hmm. yep. uh you know, and speaking of people
0: who have been around forever uh, are you familiar with John Vanderpott
1: oh yeah yeah well he's is he on back, the 100k list
0: coming back for his All oh, right. that's yeah. fantastic so, yeah you know people keep coming back you know for those of you that are not familiar John Vanderpott uh uh, is a runner from California, and he will be here for his eleventh. And uh, always has bib number four twenty. I don't know what that means.
1: But, um. <laughs> he is also consistently one of the most thoughtful commenters on I Run Far on my yeah. Friday AJW's Tap Room column. He's a he reads it every Friday. Usually puts in a thoughtful comment that gets conversation going. Really thoughtful, reflective guy. I'm, I'm, I'm psyched he's coming back 11 times. Yeah, another right.
0: uh, regular to the scene is uh, Catra. Catra's going to be running the 100 Will
1: anybody have a better costume? It's really
0: hard to <laughs> say because, frankly, last year, for those of you who didn't see Katra's costume, it was terrifying. <laughs> like, she was dressed up as somebody from The Purge and... <laughs> it was intense. Uh, but, I mean, you know, you never know. She might be showing up with something, you know, dark and intense or something bright and, mm-hmm. you know, and cheerful. But she's always a contender for the costume contest. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah. You know, and yeah. that's part of the magic. Uh, you know, I've seen some great costumes out here. Um, I know that uh, a few years ago, Pete Mortimer dressed as uh, and shaved his... Uh, facial hair to look like freddie mercury and he was a dead <laughs> did, was he, did, did it work yeah oh it was fantastic <laughs> you know that's a great one he's also done borat out here um but yeah that's part of the fun is that you know people come out here in costume usually you're not seeing it from the the very top of the field but you know we get it
1: you know i mean from uh from a costume standpoint how many what's the over under on jubilee's costume changes i believe i knew this I believe that it was like, I think it's somewhere in the mid-20s typically. Really? There's Catra's costume. There's Catra's costume. From, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was terrifying. That is terrifying. Yeah. Oh my gosh.
0: But uh but yeah, Jubilee I- at least two dozen.
1: That's yeah. incredible. Yeah. I mean that's it's
0: incredible. Uh, you know, and that's over the course of the entirety. I mean, and sh- you know, she's constantly moving and going and yeah. And, and yeah, that's one of the little
1: buzzer goes off in her watch. Oop, got to change. Well,
0: <laughs> her energy is amazing because, yeah. I mean, she's got to be up early to uh, to start the races and then she's got to maintain. And then, of course, you know, just as runners are, you know, getting ready to or, you know, the 100 mile or 100 K top runners have already come in. Then Jackass Night Run starts, like yeah. you know, shortly after sundown. And then she sends them out. And then all of a sudden the hundred miler winners start coming in. You know, mm-hmm. and that's when yeah. we'll be, you know, on the air uh during the live stream. And, you know, and meanwhile, we're probably getting a chance to take a break here and there. <laughs> She's gotta keep going, yeah. going, going. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, all the way till I mean, I I believe she might be able to steal a cat nap or two, but at the same time, until the very end, when she's seeing those last runners come in, she's
1: out there. Yeah, it's a tough RD gig here at Havelina no doubt. Yeah. Yeah. So hats up. For those
0: of you who uh, aren't familiar with Jubilee, if you're coming out here, just, you know, do what I do every year. Thank her for, you know, being, you know, the uh, the driving force she is behind Havelina yeah. 100 at this point. Um, hey, Bryce, uh, are we doing well enough time that we can take a question or two or from the... uh uh, from the chat if we've got any
2: yeah let's see um wasn't too many questions coming in there was some back and forth with uh brett horning who i believe is actually on the entrance list yeah brett mile. um
0: i believe brett was a guest on the uh Single Track podcast this week and and did a great job uh they were um they had a great discussion about Evelyn Hunter's as a preview i invite people to check that one out
2: yeah yeah, uh,
0: yeah. I'm not familiar with Brett as a runner, um, but I, I did like his his podcast. I apologize, Brett, for <laughs> not knowing more. There were a lot of names to go through yeah, this week, yeah. and one of the things that I had a lot of fun with uh, as we got ready was I parsed through the data for every finisher in Heavenly and 100 history, mm-hmm. and there's, I believe, 3,604 unique finishes for the race. Um, and... Uh, I'll got, tell you. I'll tell
1: you. The highlight of that geeking out was forty-nine states are represented, yes. and this year there's a starter from Rhode Island. Yeah, the one state that has yet to have a finisher. So I, let's let's cheer for that Rhode Island dude. I can't remember what his name is. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. There, there was a of of all you know throughout the twenty years
0: of having a hundred, one state doesn't have a finisher. At least according yeah. to Ultra Sign Up. I mean, yeah. maybe some people didn't put their names in or their states in, but but yeah, this could be the first time we have a finisher from uh, from Rhode Island, which would be a hoot. That would so, be a hoot, yeah. <laughs> um, do we have any other?
2: No questions in the chat at the moment. A little back and forth on uh, shoe strategy.
0: Shoe strategy. Well, okay, so this is mm. something I noticed. Uh, for those of you who haven't watched the uh, Chasing Gold series mm-hmm. hosted by our very own Scott Traer, uh, he's been interviewing some of the Golden Ticket contenders uh, over the course of the week and been some great interviews. Nice bite-sized pieces, uh, you know, 15, 20-minute mm-hmm. conversations. One of the things I noticed is that the people he talked to are very close to the vest about their shoe gear. Mm-hmm. Like some of the people are like, you know, kind of keeping things in the down low. And and a lot of the runners in general. Is this? So I've been following in a part of the sport since, you know, 2014, 2015. Is that something that's always been a big deal, like keeping your, no. your
1: foot gear? No, 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 no. I would I, think I mean, it'd be more advantageous to like hype sure. it. Sure. When I think back to, say, the Scott Jurek years, I mean, he would always know what he was using for, which Brooks model he was using at Western States, mm-hmm. and Rob Crarr, you know, whatever North Face model he was using. Uh, Hal Kerner always, you would always know what his Adidas was, even all the way back to Ann Trace and Nike, you know, she would, it, it was pretty clear. So I, I think that's relatively new, that mm-hmm. kind of class. Close to vest the vest. And, and I don't know if everybody is close to the vest. I mean, I think I I heard Brittany Peterson on the Single Track podcast, and she was pretty open with the oh, the okay. Nike. I think she's going to use the Zagama, which is a relatively new shoe from Nike. I think that uh, Casey will be pretty open with yeah. whatever hoka <laughs> she's going to wear. That makes so, sense. Uh, but I but I mean, it's it might be something too that maybe the the sponsors are asking them to be a little bit more chill about it, or they have some sort of prototype that. They want to uh, unveil in a little bit more of a kind of cool way than just, I'm running in this prototype. I think I heard
0: on the Run Single Track podcast, uh, Arlen Glick is running in Kraft. Is he? That's uh, the- I think that's a big get for both sides. Yeah, <laughs> you know, frankly, yeah. <laughs> I think it's great to see Arlen uh, with a shoe and then also a, a, a company like Kraft being able to, you know, I'm not saying that they're sponsoring him. Don't you know? Don't put that on me. But like
1: the fact that he is, you know, wearing their shoe in a high-profile race like this,
0: it's kind of a big deal.
1: You don't need a ton of shoe here. No. You know, you can. I mean, in the old days, we would run it in road shoes, but you could run it in some pretty minimal shoes. Some pretty, you know, you need some tread, but you you don't have to go crazy with shoe choice here. I mean, you might want to think about, you know, getting all the grit and stuff in there. You want to have a change of socks possibly if things act up down there. But well, I I mean, Nick.
0: Nick will be running in road shoes. Nick oh yeah, he will be running in road shoes. I know that Camille ran in the uh, uh, ran in road shoe last year as well when she won. So and and
1: Tim Tollefson ran in regular old uh, Hoka Cliftons. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, you know, you've
2: got those options.
0: Um, I guess uh, to close things out here. Oh, sorry.
2: We did have uh, yeah a little influx of questions here. If you guys want to do uh, yeah, like a we'll rapid take some fire session. Absolutely. Awesome. Do we know the fastest anyone has run this race in a costume? Do we know? Oh, that's an excellent question.
0: If I had to venture a guess, it would probably i I have a guess on who it would be. I don't know, like what his fastest time is here though. But uh, Jordan Camastro always wears a costume at this race. Does he? And Jordan's PR for the hundred miler is fifteen fourteen. So I'm mm-hmm. betting that of somebody wearing a full costume Jordan would probably have the best. I don't know if he's had like a, you know, a sub 18 time or something like that mm-hmm. here. I mean, he's very fast. So if anybody were to have done it, and Jordan wears, like, a full-body costume. like like <laughs> Yeah, it's not just a hat. No, no. I know. no. Yeah. Like, he wore a dragon costume one year, like, a lizard costume another year. And these are, like, full-body, like, green man from Always Sunny kind <laughs> of things where he's, like, from head to toe, like, enveloped in his costume. So, <laughs> I love it. Like, that's, that's what I would guess. I mean, I don't know for sure, but if I had to guess of anybody – um, in terms of having the, the course record in a costume. Maybe this is something I can research a little bit. Actually, I'll probably contact Jordan about that this yeah, weekend yeah. And, and ask him. But um, also, you know, we'd have to go back and kind of, you know, check to see. I mean, who knows? Maybe there was a previous winner who did wear a costume. Mm-hmm. You know, we never know. Right, so.
2: right. Chris, question yeah. for you in particular. Do you have a costume for this year?
0: I have a couple of ideas. I don't think I'm going to commit to a costume necessarily because we're going to be on the move. For those that are not familiar with how it's going to work, um, you and I are going to be out at the start line kind of um, hanging out and, you know, filming and talking and, and figuring things out as we go. And and we move around so quick that that generally a costume would be more of a hindrance because it's like yeah. we want to see the start. And then we're going to head over to the first road crossing where we can catch runners and then you know we'll kind of play it by ear from there. Now in years past, I've done a costume, I guess you could say. Uh, we called it the uh, the Zoom meeting, which uh, <laughs> consisted of me um, wearing a dress shirt, tie, sport coat, and boxer shorts. And what I would do is I would actually stand out at the corner of Escondido and Pemberton and for the first runners. to get people to do yeah, the little extra hang out there and dance. <laughs> well, it's just funny because that was, I want to say, 2018 and 2019, which was awfully prescient because now— It was before Zoom was— Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so now, you know, like, if I were to show up there, people would be like, oh, he's probably that way Monday through Friday. You right. know, so um, I don't know if I'm going to have a costume. Are you going to have a costume? No,
1: I—so I, for listeners and viewers, I'm I'm getting my, my maiden voyage here as being part of the live stream— um, support group and chris is going to be taking me around especially for those first four or five hours which is a key kind of first four or five hours for the live stream when we're still out on the course and getting some footage early in the morning and so forth so i'm kind of an i mean i might be on my bike i might be you know i think we want to have as much flexibility as we can sure. i might though throw on a costume i have a couple of ideas uh i i have a particular idea for a for a golden hour costume, nice. so stay tuned on that. I may the next morning. I may uh, I may show up in something. Yeah, I'll actually be in the studio here with Matt. You know, right, we'll be, right. You know, so I might there, I so. might have something golden. We'll see. Wonderful.
2: <laughs> uh, let's uh, Let's wrap up with one last question. This one's from Brett Horning. Uh, where do you stand on going out a little harder for the first lap while it's cooler uh, versus? versus going out conservative and uh, slowing down a little bit less during the afternoon.
0: I think that's more of a question for you because I've never run it that long.
1: Yeah. I, I, I do think there's an advantage to that, Brett. I think if you can get like, if you're running in the, in the win or in the golden ticket range and you can get out uh, before it gets, you can finish your first loop before it gets too hot. Um, you're going to have a little advantage and you can kind of chill out. It's, 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 similar at Western States where, you know, you know, it's going to be hot, but you get up in the high country and you might want to make a little time before Robinson flat, before it really gets hot. So I would say don't go crazy, but certainly running, running the, uh, the, the rollers through the middle part, you know, uh, and then running that downhill from jackass uh, back to the road crossing and running the Escondido part pretty quick if you can. That's a little bit. It's like I said, it's the only technical part. But I do think there's an advantage to that. So then if your if your first loop is you know in the it's going to be in the two for the front runners you know two twenty to two thirty range. Now it's eight eight thirty in the morning. It's going to start warming up, but you can even sneak a, a little a little bit more fast stuff after that. But I, it's a it's a good strategy for front runners. As long as they're disciplined enough, not only to run just fast enough for that first loop, but to actually honestly slow down for the second loop. What often happens is they'll, I was such a great first loop, I'm feeling great. And they do it again for the second group and get their butts kicked. So you see a lot of early elite drops here in like the 40 mile mark. Because it's like, whoa, I went out hard for the first loop and then the sun came out in the second loop and uh <laughs> I'm done. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, that's one thing I, I have noticed is that very rarely
0: do the elite level runners drop late in this race because once they've gotten through the the heat of the day, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. they can push through. And and that's generally what we see. Unless
1: there's an injury once they get certainly right, right. you're not going to have very many drops at mile 80. Yeah. No, yeah.
0: no. I mean and and I think that that extends all the way down to the the middle of the pack and the back of the pack mm-hmm. as well. If you get to mile 80, you've got four loops down. You're going to do whatever it takes to stay mm-hmm. out on the course, yes, you yep, know, and yep. and I've seen runners, you know, personally, you know, you know, fight through, you know, to that 30-hour time limit and beyond. Like I've seen runners come in a couple minutes afterwards but they're still, you know, going mm-hmm. at it. So um, I guess uh, in closing, I wanted to see if we could, uh, Bryce, if we've got a moment, I can say, uh, you know, for those of you who are going to be here in town, AJW and I are going to be uh, part of a couple of events this week. And mm-hmm. uh, tonight we've got our group run actually out at Havlina headquarters and uh, it starts at 7 p.m. We're going to hang out. We're going to run. We've got a lot of guests, uh, you know, Pat Regan, Nick Curry, Pete Kostelnick Jubilee will be there. Mm-hmm. So you can meet some of the you know big names in you know the local running scene and also in the you know as part of the Havelin hundred experience and then we're gonna go do our social at Bonehouse Brewing in Fountain Hills. Then tomorrow night we've got a happy hour at uh, Bachelor Pad Barbecue and uh, you know we hope that those of you that are in town to come and be a part
1: of Having Hundred will join us. Of what course. time is the is the Thursday one? Is that seven also? Six to oh, eight six to eight. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. of course
0: six. on Wednesday or on Friday we've got the expo mm-hmm. and then Saturday is when it all goes down
1: and i want to say too you know our our vipa i'm i'm honored to be part of the live stream team this year but our vipa has pioneered the live stream we know that there's lots of races that do live streams now but you're the pioneers that first black canyon you know now what six seven years ago and this um this javelina live stream is just going to be so much fun the you get more equipment every year you get more sort of dialed in with the gear, I think we're gonna you're gonna see some new some new features this year, uh, some new camera angles, some new locations. I'm gonna learn what it means to be a field correspondent, <laughs> and then uh, spend a fair bit of time in the studio as the as the race kind of comes down to the wire so and then back out there for the golden for the for the morning in the in the golden hour so having watched the live stream for several years it's it's really exciting for me to be on the other side of it and uh thank you for giving me the opportunity
0: well i'm, I'm excited to be out there with you uh as we're going to be basically you know uh tag teaming the the first couple hours of the race and my my goal now i feel like uh, the bar has been raised i have to make sure i don't lead you astray so uh <laughs> you know we'll 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 basically follow the playbook i've had over the last couple years and it seemed to work pretty well so you yeah. know i mean we have a good time out there uh, the energy is just so great i mean you haven't been out to heavily in a few years right so yeah i think it's going to be like a pretty impressive scene for you mm-hmm. to see for the first time and for those of you who haven't been out there before i invite you to uh uh... register for you know the race for next year uh... the race registration for next year i can already say this i think pretty confidently because it always happens every year is on the first of january and uh... this year it it sold out in january now the waitlist did start up and the waitlist did move but at the same time if you want to be a part of having a hundred uh... get on it fairly early and uh... you know we hope to see you out here next year but uh... i can't wait for this race
1: and if you're coming to the race if you're here or you're on your way Come say hi to us at the headquarters as we're running around with our iPhones and filming and getting stuff back here to Bryce and uh, and the t- and Matt and the team because uh, we we're, you know it's a social event and Absolutely. that's uh and that's that's by the way the people keep coming back yes it's a competitive race yeah you know and yes it's uh, going to be a Western States qualifier for a lot of people but it's also a social event. It's also bringing the family back together after a year of, you know, another year of sort of pandemic. And what are we doing? Yeah. Like it is a time to celebrate this community and what we do. So please come say hi to us. Uh, we'll have some good time. If you want to be interviewed and tell us how your runners doing, we'd love to do that.
0: Absolutely. Who knows? Like when we're filming, we never know what'll pop up on a, uh, on a sizzle reel or a, you know, a produced piece later um obviously there's some footage of me dancing in my underwear out on the (laughs) course and i'm never going to live it down (laughs) and it's made its way onto all sorts of social media posts so uh for agw for andy jones wilkins i'm chris warden uh thanks to uh bryce uh behind the uh behind the board there uh keeping us uh going and uh hope you tune in this weekend for the heavily 100 live stream and uh we'll see you then